Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. My name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here. Super glad that you're here, too. We are winding down our Grow series where we have been looking at spiritual practices that can help us follow Jesus for the long haul. Our last two messages today is about understanding the Bible. Next week, Rena Rasmussen is going to give her first sermon here at River Heights Vineyard, which I am super excited about. That one's going to be on applying the Bible, and so do not miss it next week. Today, I'm going to share with you six truths and a story from Scripture that help us understand the Bible. Reading, interpreting, and applying the Bible to our lives is really near to the heart of our faith. Without the Bible, we wouldn't know anything about Jesus. We wouldn't know his teachings. We would not know about his miracles, and we would not know about his death and resurrection. I think God's generous. We would still be able to relate to God, but it would be a lot easier to misunderstand God and to turn God into someone that God is not. And Christians have known this for almost 2,000 years, ever since the Bible was affirmed by the church. As a result, literally millions of people have dedicated their whole lives to copying and reproducing the Bible, to translating the Bible, to studying and understanding and writing about the Bible, as well as to preaching the Bible so that all of us can put the Bible into practice in our lives. Along the way, there have been one or two disagreements about what the Bible says, what the Bible means, and how the Bible is meant to be put into practice. And the Bible is incredibly complicated. It contains verses no one understands. It is a mix of history, letters, stories, poetry, prophecy, wisdom, and apocalyptic imagery. It was written by dozens of writers over the course of hundreds of years, likely starting with Job in around 500 BC. It contains verses that in isolation contradict each other. And there's this huge break between the older books written before Jesus and the newer books written about Jesus after his life, death, and resurrection. And yet, despite all this, nothing I have seen is better for helping us follow Jesus faithfully over the long haul. Now, when I was a kid, my parents put me in Christian schools in seventh grade because I was suicidal, and I got expelled from the first one. So you can see how well I took to Christian school. And then I went to another Christian school, and the differences between the schools were really hard to deal with. The first school taught me that the Holy Spirit does miracles in people's lives and encouraged us to speak in tongues, which is a topic for some other sermon. And they encouraged us to pray that God would do miracles in the world. And then I went to this next school, and they taught that speaking in tongues is demonic, and God cannot and has not done any miracles since the time of Jesus Christ. And both schools proved their point with tons of Bible. Both schools told me my soul was at stake, and their interpretation was the only safe and right and true one. Now, I happened to fall on the side of God's alive and does miracles because that was my experience, not because of the Bible. But I saw lots of people in both settings being unkind to each other using the Bible. And so I became kind of self-righteous about Scripture, mostly using it to be critical of other people. Have we all known someone or been someone who's done that? And then I ruined my life in my 20s. I got lost in drug addiction and despair. And one night God came into my room, kept me from killing myself, held me overnight, and the next day I didn't want drugs anymore. And God started talking to me a lot, telling me mostly, stay alive, and I love you. And then not too long after that, God said, start reading the Bible. And it was amazing. All of a sudden, this book of criticism and fighting was full of wisdom. 
and Jesus was super unexpected and life-giving. And there were all kind of words in there that I could put into practice and started to rebuild my life and help make my life worth living again. So I read the Bible from cover to cover and then did it again and did it a few more times. And the Bible has helped me follow Jesus. It has helped me serve with humility. And it's helped me grow as a person. It has helped me keep my faith through hard times and do my job faithfully, both when I was in tech and now as a pastor. So over the years, I've learned a ton from the Bible. And as a pastor, I actually get to learn like a lot about the Bible. I got to learn some Hebrew and some Greek in the last semester. We have a language prof sitting right here with us today. We argue about biblical languages together. I got to take all kinds of classes and read all kinds of books on how to understand the Bible and how to apply it. And today I get to share with you my version of how to understand the Bible. Next week, Rena preaches on how to apply the Bible, which is really the good part. And so for sure, come for that. So my way of understanding the Bible depends on something that seems really obvious to me, but for some reason it makes people irritated once in a while. Uh, people have all kinds of perspectives on what the Bible is and how it works, and sometimes people like to argue about I-words, like infallibility or inerrancy. I take a real simple approach. I believe the Bible is what it claims about itself, no more and no less. And that's been a super helpful way to look at the Bible for me, and I encourage you to consider it for yourself. And in order to consider that, let's take a look at six things the Bible says about itself. Number one, Scripture gives us hope and encouragement. Romans 15, 4 says, The Scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. The Bible is full of God's promises and these promises can work in our lives to give us hope and encouragement when we need them. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, this is for some of you today, I am certain that God who began a good work in you is going to continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Can you hear how hopeful that is? The good inside of you is a work of God and God's not going to let it be lost. God's not going to let it be overcome. God's going to continue to work in your life until you reach that day when Jesus Christ comes for you. That's some hopeful, encouraging stuff right there. One chapter later, Paul says, I am confident that God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's good news. God's at work in your life whether you see it right now or not. And God is going to keep on working in your life. Whatever twists and turns life brings you or whatever twists and turns you inflict upon yourself. When you use the Bible for hope and encouragement, you are understanding what it's for. Truth number two, Scripture says we are all sinners saved by faith in Jesus. Galatians 3, 21 to 22. Is there a conflict then between God's law, the rules, and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we'd be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare we are all prisoners of sin. And so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Now, when I read the Bible, the commands, some of them seem real easy. Do not murder. Everybody's getting that one today, right? Parents, come on. You're getting this one. All right? All right. Some of them seem a lot harder. Do not put anything before God ever. 
I have not nailed that one perfectly. That's for dang sure. Jesus teaches things like don't be angry with people. Paul tells his readers, pray about everything. I think all these commands are easy for a minute or three, but they're really hard to do perfectly all the time. And this is actually one of the points of Scripture. They highlight that all of us cannot do the right thing all the time. It's not just you. You're not the only person who's broken and can't follow God perfectly all the time. It's literally everybody else in this room. Could I get an amen? We can't do it perfectly, right? And so what the scriptures let us know is that our hope is not in how we do the right stuff. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in God who does the right stuff for us, in us, and through us for the good of the world. We are saved by believing in Jesus Christ. That's it. The next three truths all come from the same passage. I'm going to read the passage, then I'll give you the three truths, which are right there in the passage. 2 Timothy 3. This is uh, Paul writing to a younger pastor named Timothy, who he loves. He says, you must remain faithful in the things you've been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. And so I think this is the richest passage that talks about Scripture itself in the Bible. And here's three things that come from this passage. Number one, Scripture gives us wisdom that leads to salvation. All right? So Scripture can make us wise enough to realize we need God's help. Right? Number two, Scripture is inspired and useful. I think when people argue about whether it's inerrant or what's the other one, infallible, I like to just say it's inspired. And people say, well, what does that mean? And I say, I don't exactly know, but it seems good, right? If God's the one who inspired it, it's probably pretty good. I think we can all agree on that. And it's useful. It actually has a purpose. This is why the Bible did not work for me very well when I was in high school as a young adult. It's because I was using it against other people, and that's not what it's for, right? That's walking around with a hammer trying to screw things in. Once I gave my life over to God and started using it to change my heart and my relationship with God, the Bible became amazingly useful. It turns out I had a lot of nails that needed hammering, okay? Sometimes when I stare at the biblical commands I know I'm going to fail at, that's actually what leads me to Jesus. When I see the good things I know I can't do every day, like pray without ceasing or give thanks in all things, I realize I'm not perfect. I am not God, and I actually need God to make things right. I can't do it myself. And that is always where Jesus comes in. Jesus is the one who makes things right for us and through us for the world. Jesus heals our relationship with God and with ourselves. Sometimes the Bible helps us with big things. I had a classmate. She was beautiful. She wanted to sleep with me on a class trip. The Bible says that is terrible for you. It's terrible for your marriage. Don't do stuff like that. And so sometimes on the big things, the Bible is super helpful. Some days it's the little things, like parenting, for example. That's like an everyday, all-the-time kind of job for a whole lot of your life. And what does the Bible say? 
it says, uh, fathers, do not aggravate your children. I wish my daughters were here to snork when I say that because I use a lot of dad jokes in my parenting and it, it seems to aggravate them a little bit once in a while. But nonetheless, <laughs> I think do the best you can to parent your kids with love and not in a way that actually makes their lives harder and worse. The Bible says love is patient and kind. And so ever, however I'm going to handle discipline or life consequences or class trips, I want to do it patiently and kindly. And I'm going to fail sometimes. But the Bible has helped me do better. So the first five truths are positive. The sixth truth is a warning. Six, Scripture can be twisted to our destruction. Second Peter 3 starting with verse 15. Remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him, speaking of these things in all of his letters. Some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. Now, this reminds me of a lot of the religious leaders of Jesus' time, as well as lots of religious leaders today. They had Jesus, the Son of God, living right there in front of him, healing people and teaching the most good teaching in the history of the world. And instead of loving or following Jesus, they used the Bible against him. They said, you can't heal on the Sabbath, that's not allowed in the Bible, you can't claim anything about yourself that's true about God alone. They used all kinds of rules to hate Jesus Christ and ultimately have him killed. And so I think there's a warning here. Never put your understanding of the Bible ahead of what is right and good. Because the Bible is immensely complicated and you're going to be wrong about it sometimes. How many people here know for a fact that you were wrong about something in the Bible earlier in your life? <laughs> like a lot of times, right? And so I'm going to suggest that you follow a vineyard teaching. It's propagated all throughout the vineyard. Stick to the main and the plain, right? So the Bible says the most important thing is to love God and love people. That is hard enough to take the rest of your life. The Bible also says a whole lot of really obscure things that you can take to mean all kind of weirdness. You do not need to do that. Okay? And so I'm not saying ignore parts of the Bible. How many of you actually enjoy talking about the particularities of the odd things in Scripture? I do. Anybody else besides me? That can be an enjoyable conversation. Those are not meant to be the center of your practice, right? The center of our practice is the main and the plain. Love God, love people, do those things in all the ways you interpret and use Scripture instead of twisting things around to where you'd get to skip out on loving God and loving people. So that's six truths to help you understand the Bible and what's it for. And for our story today, we're going to turn to Luke 24 and a famous passage called The Road to Emmaus. This takes place three days after Jesus was crucified, and it contains the hinge point that has helped me relate to Scripture for most of my adult life and pastoring. Luke 24, 13. The same day... Two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. And so here they are, followers of Jesus, walking along and completely failing to recognize Jesus, which is kind of funny. 
and at the same time, how many times have you recognized Jesus after the fact instead of in the moment? How many times has this happened to you? It's happened to me a million times. In the moment, I'm distracted or confused or focused on myself, and after an interaction, I realize, oh, wow, that was Jesus right there. Jesus had a thing for me. That's what happens to these disciples. They don't recognize Jesus in the moment. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written on their faces. And then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that happened there the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who came to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of followers were at his tomb early in the morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them, Jesus is alive. Well, some of our men ran out to see. Sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It's this last verse that I think is a way to interact with the Bible that will keep you on the path to Jesus for the rest of your life. I'll read it again. Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The very first things Jesus does with these disciples seeing him after his resurrection for the very first thing, first time, the first thing he does is point out how the Bible leads to him. And he says not just some of the scriptures, the writings of Moses and all the prophets. That's the whole known Bible at the time of Jesus, not some of it, all of it. Now, when I was in high school, we had a Lutheran teacher. This is not the one that kicked me out. We had a Lutheran teacher in my physics class. He was also the football coach, and he was pretty, you could say straightforward, you could say simple, you could say loud. Uh, and he said, Benedict, the whole Bible points to Jesus. Now, I was a smart aleck, and so I quoted Deuteronomy 23.1 to him and asked if that counts. Deuteronomy 23.1 is, if a man is wounded in the stones, he shall be cast from the congregation. I said, how about that, Mr. Benson? And he said, gosh darn it, Benedict, I said the whole thing. Now, I was being a smart aleck. I was using the Bible to argue and upset my teacher because I thought that's what the Bible was for. But even the verse I smart alecked to him actually points to Jesus. In the book of Acts, there's a eunuch from Ethiopia riding along in a chariot, and he's puzzling over a passage of the Bible that points directly to Christ. And one of the apostles, guided by the Holy Spirit, is brought to this man and he explains how this passage says Jesus was the Son of God and Jesus is for you. And at that time, they stop and he is baptized. And because of Jesus, this division between eunuchs and the people of God is healed. And now Christianity has existed in Ethiopia longer than anywhere else in the world continuously. Jesus and the Bible let us know Scripture has a purpose 
The purpose is to point us to Jesus. The religious leaders misused the Bible to criticize Jesus, and they ended up crucifying him. But the disciples, with Jesus' help, were able to see how it points to him. Now, next week, Rena's going to talk about how to apply the Bible, and so I have to stop. Otherwise, that's what I'm going to start doing right now. I just want to suggest to you, use the Bible to look to Christ. When you don't understand the words, tell Jesus you don't understand the words. So often the disciples hear Jesus sharing a story, and then they come to him and they say, what did that mean? And when the Bible seems to you to suggest that you act in a way that is not like Jesus, I want to suggest something for you that I think is actually pretty safe. Go with your understanding of Jesus first and your understanding of Scripture second. The Bible itself says Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. The Bible says that Jesus is the revelation of God in the world. And Jesus is first and foremost our Lord. That is the cry of the Christian church, the call of Scripture itself, to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead that we might be saved. And so Jesus is the one we follow. The Bible helps us follow Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible, meanwhile, is the greatest pointer that we have ever found toward the salvation we receive in Jesus Christ. And so my hope is that you will read it, understand its purpose, and starting next week, learn to put it into practice, right? Learning how to apply that thing. I'm going to invite you to stand as you're able and the worship team to come back up here. I have three tips for us to put the Word of God into practice as we are receiving it this week. Something to read, pray, and do. Tip number one. Read Luke 24, the story of the road to Emmaus and what Jesus is doing there is pretty amazing. I think it's worth your time to read a little bit more slowly, a little bit on your own. Tip number two, pray for an understanding of the Bible, right? And so we've got the Bible. What we need next is for it to connect to our hearts, for us to connect to God through it. And tip number three is start a Bible reading plan. That can be real easy to do. I will give you the lowest bar, easiest Bible plan that I know of. There's an app called YouVersion, Y-O-U Version. It is the best Bible app as far as I am aware. All I got to do is click here. I click the word Bible, and I get every book of the Bible, all kind of different translations. I'm partial to the New Living Translation. I think it's the clearest, right? And so I can just begin reading the Bible, and there's a really neat feature. It sends you a verse of the day. And when I started getting the verse of the day, it was like really hitting me every day. And I was like, they're cherry picking. They're just picking the good parts. And then at about the two-month mark when it had been 60 days in a row, I was like, or maybe the Bible's real good, <laughs> right? Maybe there's just like so many good parts that it actually works to interact with the Bible on a regular basis. And so the verse of the day can be a blessing to you as it has been to me. There are tons of Bible reading plans that help you read the entire Bible. I will tell you the worst one, in my opinion. The worst one is start at the beginning and just start reading. Because everybody, just about everybody, quits in Deuteronomy or Leviticus. The Bible gets extremely detailed about stuff that does not readily lend itself to practice for quite a while in the early going. 
And so I do not ever tell people, start with the Old Testament. If you want to read cover to cover, start with the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. But fortunately, tons of people have developed what's called a Bible reading plan. Many of these get you through the whole Bible in one year. They give you a piece of the Old Testament, a piece of the New Testament, some Psalms, a proverb, like different ways to relate to God that actually get you through some of the difficult stuff. And many of these Bible reading plans have what's called commentary. That's not like a special word. It's like someone talking about the Bible. And so it'll say, hey, here's this section. Here's what it means. Here's what was going on historically. And it can help you relate to Scripture. And so a lot of Bible reading plans uh, can be helpful to you, not just in getting the words, but in understanding what they mean. Um, Alpha is a group that encourages people to ask questions of faith over a meal. We as a church have been running Alpha. You do it for like eight weeks or ten weeks in the current version. We've been doing it as a church for like 20 years. And Alpha is wonderful. It's run by a guy named Nicky Gumbel. He has an Alpha Bible reading plan. You can, it's free. You just download it. So you can Google Alpha Bible reading plan and get a really trustworthy and good one. Uh, or you could join What the Bible. That's our life group on Wednesdays where we watch videos from the Bible Project that are about the big picture story of God, then we talk about them around our tables. And so those are some ways you could put um, understanding the Bible more into practice. I want to lead us in prayer as we transition into worship and prayer together. We'll have communion after the first two songs. Uh, during the prayer time, if we could have a couple folks up here ready to pray for people, that would be super helpful. Uh, we'll pray for anything under the sun for you any kind of thing that you want God to do in your life or the lives of your loved ones. Today in particular, you might want prayer to relate well to the Bible. You might want to repent of being a jerk about the Bible. You know, I could always keep on repenting for that. <laughs> Hopefully it's not happening anymore. I don't know. Uh, you could also pray for understanding of the Bible or an ability to actually read and continue reading the Bible. Uh, I'll lead us as we begin our prayer and worship. So God, thank you so much for the gift of Christ. Jesus, we thank you that you are willing to come here, to live here, and to show us the way, and then to be the way. I thank you for not doing wrong and for instead giving yourself up even to the point where we crucified you. And God, we're so grateful that you have raised Jesus from the dead as our Lord. Thank you. God, we just want to take to you our understanding of the Bible and ask that you would put your hand on it. We ask that you would reach down and help us relate to the Bible the way you intend that you would help us to see Jesus and to follow Jesus, to put wisdom into practice in our lives and to learn to live more wisely. We ask that you would use the Bible for all your purposes in our lives. Help us to be and become and keep on becoming a people of your word. We offer ourselves to you and worship God. We thank you for how much you have offered yourself to us. Receive who and what we are today, God, and give us what you have for us. Amen. Uh, we'll go with a couple songs in communion. The team will let us know when the service is over. If you're visiting today, I'd love to meet you up by the Welcome Center. God bless you.